Well, good morning, Moraine Valley Church. It's my privilege and joy to be able to introduce to you the man that I believe, that our boards believe, and that our staff believe unanimously God is leading to be the next senior pastor of Moraine Valley Church. His name is Don Kaufman, and he's with us this morning. And we're excited about that. And I've had an opportunity to spend a lot of time with Don over the last few years. Got to know him real well. And some of the things I love about Don is he's a man who holds grace and truth in tension. And he walks with a deep dependence upon Jesus. He's a man who's transparent and a man who's authentic and walks in integrity. And those are things that we value here at Moraine Valley. And that's the kind of man that Don is. Don's a young, much younger man than me. Yeah, it'd be obvious in just a few moments. <laughs> but you know what I love about Don? He really is wise and humble beyond his years. You know, humility is usually not used with younger men, and wisdom is not always there, but this man has got it. And it's a, he's a real gift to us. And he's a guy who actually appreciates and respects the older generation at the same time. And I really love that about Don. Amen. Kim and I have got to know his wife, Ray, along with Don, and we have really come to love them. And I know that you will as well as you get to know him. I just want to read a text I got this week. You know, it's from a friend that wasn't able to be here a couple weeks ago when the first announcements came and they said, we heard we're having a guest speaker for two Sundays. My husband and I hope that the pastor that filled in for you a year or so ago and also sort of resembles you is the guy. He was so good. And I'm amazed as I first introduced Don and the team, really the transition team, first introduced Don to the boards how many guys said, when he preached here a few years ago, my wife leaned over and said, why wouldn't he be great to replace Pat when he's gone? Then I've been getting letters from people, Pat, don't you think you ought to retire? And I'm like, okay, I get the message. <laughs> but it's my privilege. I want to give you, would you please give Don a warm Moraine Valley Church welcome? I can tell you've uh, been, been pastored well because you haven't even heard me preach yet. Man, <laughs> there's just a trust there, I guess. So, um, <clears throat> man, it's really good to be here. Uh, again, good to be here again. Good to be with you. Uh, good to, uh, I'm, I'm excited to meet uh, some of you. Uh, I'm excited to meet all of you. I didn't want to make that sound too personal. Um, but hey, uh, man, I, I, was, I was sitting there thinking, uh, this is great for you. I'm the only one that's up here sweating bullets. Because uh, in two weeks, if you don't like this, you can say no. And you'll never have to see me again. And it'll be, it'll be fine. Um, but uh, man, I'm, I'm a little shocked though, because George and the transition team told me you'd all be seated backwards. And if you liked me, then you would hit a button and turn around. And that's how I would know uh, that, 
that, that we like each other. So, um, but, uh, but man, all, all joking aside, uh, it's, uh, it's really good to be here. And, uh, and, and I want to spend our time today uh, in John chapter 15. Uh, it, it's one of those uh, for me uh, that I go back to often. Uh, mostly because I feel like the entire thing is about Jesus making sure that we're remaining in him uh, is uh, not just often, but regularly. But I want to open this uh, in, in a different way. I want you to think about it this way with me. Um, in the last couple weeks, right, as the weather has gotten warmer, uh, nighttime has gotten warmer, uh, and if I've got any big guy friends in the room, say hallelujah with me, uh, I don't sleep well when I'm sweaty, all right? Uh, and so after a couple nights of this uncomfortable kind of like, all right, something's got to shift here. We're in a new house. We bought a house last fall. And so like, you know, I'm not, I don't know what to expect. I don't know if it's going to be cold in our room. I don't, you know, so we're navigating all that. And it came time to need to go buy a fan because again, big guys, you know what I'm talking about, right? And so we plugged this fan in and the first night, Slept like a baby, and like a baby that sleeps well during the night. It's a horrible analogy, but you get what I'm saying, right? Slept really well. And then the second night, right, uh, Ray's laying down, and I get, this fan's got a, a remote, all right? Because again, big guys, you don't want to get up, right? So it's, I'm, I'm in bed, I want to hit the remote. And I hit the remote, and nothing happens. Yeah, you feel the hurt. And so I start like, like finger punching the remote, trying to get this thing and, uh, and it's not working, uh, and I squeeze the remote as though if I broke it, maybe it would fix the fan. Uh, and then Ray, my wife, has the audacity to ask me, ladies, you probably already know the question if you wanna yell it out, is it plugged in, <laughs> right? But don't worry, I looked, of course it was plugged in. I won the battle, right? but lost the war. So I go back to beating up my new fan as though, uh, right, bullying it might make it work. And Ray once again asks, are you sure it's plugged in? Now listen, at this point, I'm frustrated, I'm tired, I'm sweating, because that's why I bought the fan, right? Uh, and then uh, I grab the plug and realize it's in the outlet, but it's not all the way in the outlet, right? Uh, so I push in and hear what sounded like an air raid siren, but it was just the beep. And, and in that moment, right, while I'm mumbling in my frustration to get up off my knees, Ray my bride, my helpmate, uh, the one who stood at the altar and promised she would be with me for better or for worse, is across the room laughing so hard at me she can't breathe, right? Uh, because uh, guess what? She was right, okay? Uh, I was convinced it was connected and something was broke. Ray was convinced there was no way it was connected. Here's the issue. Even though it looked connected, it wasn't doing what it was created and able to do. Let me bring this to where I believe God wants us to go today, and let me ask you this. In your life, over the last couple months, have you experienced an overwhelming supernatural peace? Do you walk in the overflowing fullness of life? Do you live life in the weightless joy of having this sensation of no guilt or no shame? Or have you been tired, defeated, have you felt anxious, stressed out, exhausted, irritable, easily frustrated, and you feel like at the end of all that, you don't have much to show for it? Uh, the issue might be the same as the fan. Even though you look connected to Jesus, you aren't experiencing it as you're created and able to do. 
Some of us walked in this morning thinking we are connected to Jesus, but struggle to identify the evidence. Some of us walked in looking connected and struggling within ourselves uh, with lives that don't match up to what we say we believe. And there might even be some who are disconnected from Jesus and just think everything's fine. Uh, the reality is this, this morning, and I'm well aware of the situation I'm walking on stage with, whether you came here to encounter God or to evaluate a new preacher, what I hope is is that you hear God's heart, truth, an invitation to regularly come to Jesus, in fact, to stay in Jesus and to live out a Jesus-saturated life. Uh, would you stand with me? I know Josh did this enough, but hey, might as well keep going, keep those, keep those knees going. Uh, I want you to stand as I read from Jesus' teaching in John chapter 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Lord Jesus, would you impress this word on our heart? Would your spirit guide us? Uh, would, would you show us where this needs to uh, uh, drip into areas of our life, if not saturate all of it? God, would you reveal to us areas where we are disconnected from you, where it looks like we should be fine until we go and we find out there's no fruit to show for it? God, would you would you open our eyes to see? Would you, uh, would you carve out in our life and do some sort of soul triage uh, so that we can be identifying and you identifying in us uh, the areas of us uh, that need to come back to be remained in you so that we can be encouraged uh, by years of fruit uh, because of we've abided in you? And Lord Jesus, today, uh, would, you, would you draw us to yourself uh, so that the life we live, we live uh, through you, and the fruit that comes out of our life points people back to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can sit down unless you feel like standing, then I guess you could do that too. I'm not here to tell you what to do, you're here to tell me. So, um, listen, uh, growing up when I was in high school, there was this crucial moment that served as the transition point of moving from being friends to being boyfriend and girlfriend, right? And in my circles, we call that three-letter mark transition, and it triggers anxiety and anticipation and courage. I'm talking about the DTR, right? Uh, defining the relationship. That moment where it's like, are we friends? Are we like not friends? Are we, what, what's going on here? Is it dating? Is it not dating? And honestly, the only person that really cared was my mom, right? That was, that was the one she wanted to know, all right? Uh, what I love in this is Jesus starts off with that, I wanna ask you this, when is the last time you identified where you were with Jesus, like really sat and evaluated it? 
really sat before the Lord and asked questions. What are the words that come to mind when I think of Jesus' place and position in my life? Where do I think of myself when I think of where am I at with him? Jesus starts off in verses 1 and 5. We get this. One, the father is the gardener in this story. He is the caretaker, the owner, the provider. He's the one that makes sure that fruit is produced. The second one is we've got the son. Jesus is the vine. He's the source of life to the branches, green leaves and good fruit because of our connection to him. Where we land in this story is we are the branches. Extensions from the source spread out and facilitating the fruit that flows because of who we are connected to. Uh, don't miss in this story the fact that Jesus is pulling them into imagery about a garden. This is fundamental. This is elementary. This is page one of the Bible stuff. I want to encourage us. We might be living on the southwest side of Chicago, but we're still in the echoes of Eden. There's parts of how God started this that we still feel in us today. As God remains the owner and the caretaker of this garden vineyard, and we remain those people who get to be in it, but we shift our perspective. Through the Old Testament, God's people are referenced as God's choice vine. Get it? Before Matthew, it's God's people who are the vine. But over and over, sinful human vines produce sinful human fruit. So Jesus helps us reimagine the relationship in verse 1 where he says, I am the true vine. Almost as though reminding us we aren't. Giving us a, a, a refreshing reminder that we don't have to be. If we are the vine, then we can only produce more of what we actually are. And I don't know if you know yourself well enough to know what you're producing if it's just you by yourself. If he's the vine and we are the branches, then we live multiplying the goodness of God. Instead, Jesus is the true vine. As Jesus defines the relationship, we aren't the big deal, but that is actually an invitation that we don't have to be. Paul reflects on it like this in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Hear Paul's words. He says, but to me, he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your what? In your weakness. In my weakness. Paul says, listen, therefore I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power can rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. How many of you are just running around this last week like, oh man, let me tell you everything I'm horrible at, right? Let me tell you stuff that's not great, right? Hey, Don, what, tell me some stuff about you. Oh, I'm terrible at these things, right? You want to go for a run? Me neither. Don't like it. Terrible at it, right? <laughs> boasting my weakness. That's not me. Okay. Right. That's not what we do. Paul says, why can I boast in my weakness? He keeps going. I can also boast in my insults in hardships and persecutions and difficulties because he ends with this. Read it with me. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. If Jesus is not the vine, all I got to boast in is me. And there's not much to tell. But if Jesus is the true vine, I got so much to talk about. And you don't have to care what anybody says about you, what people think about you, how they view you or perceive you, uh, because listen, hey, you're probably all right, but guess what? What's coming out of my life isn't me, it's him, so long as I remain in him and him in me. 
Jesus builds this teaching off the word uh, that Paul, or, or sorry, that John would have wrote down is meno. This Greek word that means, some of your translations might say abide or remain, it's the verb for dwelling. To move in, to live in, to take up residence. Here's the idea, is that what Jesus is saying is, unless we're spending time together, this isn't gonna work, right? Unless we're in this together, uh, you can't be over there and me over here, right? And some of us, our relationships with God look more like Cosmo Kramer from Seinfeld. We don't like live with him, but we like to barge in whenever we want to and say some nonsense until we get what we want and then we take off, right? Some of you didn't know you were gonna walk out feeling like a spiritual Kramer, right? You get the image though, what Jesus is reminding in us and pointing us towards is listen, he's not asking you uh, to be friends that come over for uh, weekend sleepovers. He's not looking for neighbors who touch base every now and then. What he's looking for are people who move in so he moves in. Uh, people who reside in there, that it is deeply connected. There's an intimacy of what Jesus is asking for, and it doesn't help when we show up to church every now and then. Plug into our small group and read the uh, daily verse on the Bible app is, are you in Christ? Is Christ in you? And because if that's true, then there's fruit. This isn't about church attendance or Bible study acumen or uh, scripture retention or how nice you are. It's about being soaked in submission, close relationship, intimacy, vulnerability, deep faith and trust and Jesus Christ, where he has taken up residence in us and we are found in him. Jesus is depicting the kind of connection or relationship where the fullness of God is in Jesus and you are in Jesus and Jesus is in you. Do you get it? It's the idea, if you wanna look for me, I hope you'll have to go look for Jesus too because that's where I'm at. And if you come looking for me, I hope you find Jesus because I want him to be here with me as I am. He says, this kind of life is the kind of stuff where you can't stop producing fruit from it because it's not up to you. All you've got to do is stay connected. Jesus paints two pictures here. You're either connected or you're not. And here's how you know. You're either bearing fruit or you aren't. I want to invite you to consider, as I've had to the last, I won't tell you how long I've been thinking about this message. I want to invite you to consider with me that maybe we're not as close to Jesus as we want to be, but I want to encourage you, you may not be as far away as you think you are. I want us to look at Jesus' words together and find the life he promises when we abide in Jesus. I want us to look at this first one. When I'm living in Jesus, God's pruning goes before God's produce. Right? I know, we're starting on a downer, sorry, right? Uh, we bought our house last fall, and we have a cherry plum tree out in the front yard. Now, listen, that sounded really good. I have an app that told me what the tree was, so I had no idea looking at this thing, all right? But it was gnarly. Half of it was dead. Uh, so I pruned the tree. YouTube is fantastic, right? I cut off parts of the tree so life would focus on the good parts. More flowers in the spring, more cherry plums in the fall, the idea was is if I cut off the parts that were dead and not doing anything, then the stuff that was thriving would thrive further. 
pruning is cutting off some parts for the sake of producing better fruit overall. Think about this with me. Can you look back on times when in the moment you felt like things were being taken from you, but God was pruning what was killing you so you could produce the fruit you're seeing now? Can you look back on what I had a professor that called them your blessed subtractions? When God took stuff away and in the moment, in the moment it felt like God turned his back, God wasn't listening, God didn't know, it looked like maybe even God had abandoned you. But now you can sit and look at the fruit of your life and think, man, had God not taken that away, there's no way I'd be seeing the stuff I'm seeing now. John 15, verse 2, he says, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Get it? The reason why he's pruning is because he cares about the fruit. You are already clean because the word I have spoken to you. In our culture, less is not more, right? Most of us don't walk into the store thinking, gosh, I just really hope we leave here with nothing. Unless you're not the shopper in the family or you're the saver, then you're like, man, I really hope we leave here with nothing, right? We live in a culture where more is more, so pruning seems to be counterproductive and defeating. When we follow Jesus, he doesn't just bless us by giving us things, pay attention, he blesses us by taking away things. Blesses us by taking away things. In fact, I would say it's normal for God to subtract before he adds. Oftentimes, God will remove things first and then provide. Some of you have seen that some old things need to be cut off before some new things can grow, right? Uh, we do this every spring as we remember, right? We love Easter Sunday, but it only comes after Good Friday because some things have to die off before the good stuff can come. Remember, God's focus is not that we look like we have it all together or that we're comfortable or in easy places. What God is looking for, right, is not for you to have the appearance of spirituality. He's not looking for you uh, to be comfortable in however you choose to live. He's looking for you to bear much fruit. God wants to see fruit come from your life, and that requires cutting some things off first, and we've got to be convinced that it's not a punishment, it's in fact a blessing. The second thing I want us to look at is this, when I'm living in Jesus, God will do work in you to produce fruit through you. Right? Some of you have talked to Bible studies about some of the work God's been doing in you. Some of the stretching, some of the removing, some of the additions, some of the uh, opportunities to uh, be called up to higher places, some of the opportunities to serve down lower than where your pride will let you go. In a culture that values productivity, increase more, bigger, better, and wins, we have to beware because our dependency on Jesus is the primary work to ensure our life's productivity. Our dependency on Jesus is the primary work to ensure our life's productivity. Jesus says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. You remain in me and I in you, and you will bear much fruit. I hope you're like me and you catch that John's repeating himself over and over. But I also know this, 
nobody's got to repeat stuff to me unless I wasn't listening the first time. And listen, on Sunday, we can say, you remain in me and I remain in you. We're like, amen, that's it, that's the word, praise God. And then on Monday, it's like detached, forgot everything that just happened, right? And then Tuesday, you're like, dang it, I need to be, need to re-engage, I need to be plugged back in. And then by Thursday, it's like this roller coaster of in, out, connected, not connected, don't know what's going on. John is repeating these words of Jesus to us. Jesus is repeating these words as he teaches them. Remain in me and I remain in you and you will bear much fruit. Don't forget if you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. Don't forget when you're disconnected, you're living a fruitless life that is frustrating and exhausting and tiresome and you read scripture and it doesn't match up to your reality because you're detached. So don't forget, remain in me and I'll remain in you and you'll bear much fruit. To a world enslaved to productivity, Jesus offers a way of peace. Your effort is not to bear fruit, it's to be connected to the vine. The only work you've gotta do is not try to produce, 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 produce. You don't have to try to make disciples, make disciples, make disciples. You don't have to try to convert every single neighbor, family member, and person you see at Jewel. You've gotta remain in Jesus. And when you do, that fruit will come. Because apart from him, you can't do anything. Some of us will do the work of ministry without being with the minister. Not at the church of the kingdom. You know what I'm saying? What he's reminding, what he's calling us to is that you aren't responsible for the outcomes. You're responsible to surrender yourself to make yourself available to him. Let Jesus have his way in your life. Pour yourself out to Jesus and let him pour himself into you. My guess is the most frustrating, anger-ridden, depression-ridden, stress-filled, ridden seasons of your life have been when you've been more disconnected to Jesus. My guess is when you've been in those valleys and you've experienced the goodness of God, it's because Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't fear any evil because you are with me. So what's the fruit? What are we producing? Right? An apple tree can't produce oranges unless it's some weird hybrid working up in a lab that I don't know about. Right? A grapevine can't produce pineapples. We are determined to be our own vine. Then we're only going to produce what's actually in us. And let me tell you, the world does not need more Don Kaufman. Don't say amen. Right? The world doesn't need more, insert your own name here, right? If we remain in Jesus, we are conduits that God will use to produce more Jesus. Fruit is always for someone else, right? An apple tree doesn't get much when it bears apples. But those walking around with baskets get some good stuff. If we remain in Jesus... Were those conduits. So a good evaluation for your connection to Jesus is this. How much Jesus are the people around you getting from your life? And think about the people closest to you before you spread out to the people furthest. If you're married, does your wife or husband know Jesus better because of the way you live him out in that marriage? To your kids, Will they grow up understanding and seeing the reality of who Christ is lived out because they've walked with their mom and dad? The people that are in your uh, neighborhood and your workplaces, the people in your church and in your small groups, do they 
get to know Jesus because they're walking around people like you. Fruit always is for someone else. Follow Jesus' direction, right? Live life in Christ as Christ moves into your life. You can't produce fruit all on your own. Your life has to remain in Jesus if Jesus is going to work in you and produce fruit through you. He is the source and we are submitted to him. So how, or so, so long as our life is connected to and abiding in Jesus, his fruit will grow through our life. We don't have to wonder when it's going to come. We just have to make sure we're connected. Your life invested anywhere else offers nothing. But so long as you're in Christ, God will work in you to produce fruit through you. The world around you needs Jesus. Amen? So is your life, is your life, is your life bearing the kind of fruit that will help them encounter him? The third one is this. When I'm living in Jesus, he promises to answer our prayers. You should be more excited about that. Right? To some, this might sound like genie from Aladdin promising to give you whatever you want, but it's actually the opposite. What Jesus is promising is to give you what he wants so long as it's him that you want. Say that again. Jesus is promising to give you what he wants so long as it's him that you want. Because as you abide in him, and he's in you, then he knows whatever you're looking for is the stuff he already wants. Does that make sense? Verse seven, if you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We like to cut off the first half and just hope the second half comes true, right? Where Jesus gives a blank check invitation, ask whatever you want and it'll be done for you. I've tried that before, it's not worked well, right? Here's his conditions. If you remain in Jesus, when your life is regularly surrendered to the person of Jesus. The second one is this. If Jesus' teaching and example remains in you, when his word is saturated in you and his lifestyle is flowing from you. James reminds us, here's how you can uh, test some of that. What kinds of words do you use during the week? Because if you can't control what comes out of your mouth, how can you control anything else? Uh, our, our language, our words, and not just the four-letter ones, but the attitude we say them in and the context that we've got as we do it. The way we talk shows what's going on in the heart. So to the world around us, that, to, to the family around us, what do they see? And the summary is this, when you are fully his and Jesus is fully yours, when you are found in him and his word has moved into your life, listen, that's when you can start asking anything. And Jesus says, it will be done for you. Too often we want the blessing and not the blesser. We want God's yes, but we don't want to say yes to him. But that's not how it works here. Jesus says when all of us is surrendered to all of him, and he is so soaked into us, then the kinds of desires we have will be aligned and in agreement with God's desires so that the point we can ask for whatever we wish and it will be done for us. When you're abiding in Jesus, you're living a life of answered prayers because it's a life of aligned priorities and adoring presence. 
Jesus isn't Santa. He's the Savior. He's promising to give us what he wants when it's him that we want. Now, before I get to the good stuff, there's been some good stuff already. Jesus also throws in some warning that God doesn't just leave us alone when we're doing nothing. There's a warning in here for the disconnected Christian. Uh, maybe the one that's been around enough to claim uh, we, our vocabulary, right? We can say all the Jesus-y stuff, right? We can recite some uh, scripture. We, we can look like we're plugged in. You know what I'm saying? Don't forget that Jesus' last words after recognizing all authority in heaven and earth can be given to him was to go produce fruit. To make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey everything he's commanded him. And he promised, surely I'll be with you always. Get it? The invitation is abiding. I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus' invitation, when all authority was on him, was to bear fruit. This isn't an option for the spiritual elite and willing. Jesus paints it as the natural impulse of someone who's been buried with Christ and is risen walking in their new life. The kind of fruit is looking around and saying, who's walking with Jesus because they've been walking with you? Who's experienced and tasted that he's good because they've seen someone who's connected? Verse two, it says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. The gardener removes the one who appears okay, but lacks fruit. I don't know about you, that's challenged me a little bit this week. Is it possible that a Christian that does not multiply Jesus does more damage to the whole vine if we stay connected? Remember, the only possible way they aren't producing more Jesus is that like my bedroom fan, we look like we're connected to Jesus, but we know we aren't. We could fool some people, but not someone who goes in inspecting. Verse 5, he says, if you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. But then he adds this part, apart from me, you can do what? When your attitude is apart from him, when our behaviors are apart from him, when our words are apart from him, when our life is apart from Jesus, then whatever we are producing is doing nothing. Have you produced grumbling, discontentment, grouchy opinions, Negative commentary, right? Some of your spouses are thinking, have you been watching, right? Complaining comments, constant reminders of everything wrong in the world. The question is, how's that been producing and what has it been producing? And the bigger question is, whatever has been flowing through you, has it drawn you and the people around you closer to Jesus? Verse six, he says, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire to be burned. It's a constant reminder. That's not how it's supposed to be. It shouldn't make sense to see someone connected to Jesus' vine that is not producing fruit. And he closes in verse eight, or I'm closing in verse eight. He says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The Westminster Catechism asks this, what is the chief end of man? And the answer it gives is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So when Jesus says, this is my Father's glory, all of a sudden it's like, well, that's what we're here for. 
Whatever's doing that, that's what we need to be doing because the only reason I've died to my old way of life is because Jesus. The only reason I had the invitation to rise up out of that grave is Jesus. The only way I can walk into eternity with the assurance of my salvation is Jesus. And if I can do something to glorify the Father, I'm going to do whatever he's asking for. And guess what he's asking for? Guess what it takes to get there? We remain abiding in Jesus so we can produce more Jesus all around us. That will show that we're Jesus' disciples. I love this. I was reading through Philippians. And it almost felt like Paul was giving a journal entry explaining his experience of being a fruitful branch abiding in Jesus, the true vine. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul says, What is more, I consider everything a loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. Hear that pruning language? I could get Jesus, take it. Take the house, take the car. Can you pray that? Right? Take areas of my life, take things, take success, take uh, my titles, take uh, achievements, uh, take my uh, whatever I think makes me a big deal. Take, all, take whatever you want so long as I can have Jesus. He says, I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him. You get this abiding language. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, right? Uh, not being my own vine. I don't want to do that anymore. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. What I hear Paul saying is this, I just want Jesus. I want to be found in Jesus and for Jesus to be lived out through me. I don't want anything I've done by my own effort. I want what the vine gives. I want to live in right standing with God through faith in Jesus. Listen, some of us are trying to start our own thing and we want God's blessing, but we aren't living like we want Jesus. Will you stop trying to be your own vine? Will you put all that to death so you can abide in Jesus Christ, the true vine? Listen to Paul's words to the church in Galatia. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. How's that sound for pruning? I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but it's Christ that lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself up for me. The only hope we have is that we've been invited through Jesus' death and resurrection to die to your dead life so that you can walk today in the resurrection new life of Christ. You are no longer isolated and doing your own thing. You get to abide in King Jesus. Man, those songs about being in the kingdom, it starts to sound like this is what he's talking about. I'm going to ask you this. Some of you walked in here today. I'm going to ask you this. Have you experienced the goodness of God found in the life of Jesus? Uh, meaning this, if we had a microphone up front, we're not going to do it. Apparently, I've got to do more talking after this, but... If we were, if we had a microphone up front, could you come bear testimony to the goodness of God in your life? Could you? Could you show where he's been good and how he's been good? Could you name names? Could you, could you name those people that there's no way you would have made it through had God not put them in your path? Could you name those moments where no one could have got you out of where you were if it weren't for Jesus? Could you share about how he's been faithful and how he's been good? Could you walk through that? If you were to look back, do you have those 
story. Some of you walked in here today with an area of your life that's disconnected from Jesus. If you remain in Jesus and Jesus in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from him, you can do nothing. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to sing, or we're going to close by singing a prayer of remembering all that God has done. Some of us are disconnected because in our pursuit of something else, we've lost everything. You've been chasing something. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's in your own head. Maybe it's just ideas of joy and you can't find it anywhere because you've been looking everywhere but where God promises it. Some of us are disconnected because we've got spiritual amnesia. What I mean is we've forgotten everything God's done. We're so concerned with what he's not done yet, we forget the track record of goodness and faithfulness and mercy and love. I want you to think of an area of your life that is disconnected from Jesus. Maybe it's just your, dis- your contentment feel like you can't be content, you don't know where to be content, feels like there's always something, there's, uh, there's, you're like a rabbit chasing the carrot, it's always out there and you don't know how to get it. Maybe it's your attitude, maybe it's your public witness, maybe it's how you act at home to the people you live with, maybe it's how you treat other people, maybe it's other areas. Think of an area, if it's not the entirety for you, of somewhere that is disconnected from Jesus. And I want you to do this, right? Uh, physically, I want you to make a fist. Now, you can hold it down here so nobody sees. That's fine, right? I want you to make a fist. I want you to squeeze tight, too. I want you to hold it. Like you're holding tight to that area or to the entirety of your life that's disconnected. Squeeze, because that's what we do anyways. We're holding on to it. We're not letting it go. Because in this next song, we're going to sing this chorus. That all my life, you've been faithful. And God, all my life, you have been so, so good. And with every breath that I'm able, man, I'm going to sing of the goodness of God. And as we're singing this song and as we remember the goodness of God and you are ready to release that disconnected area and trust it to God, in that moment, wherever it comes, would you just open your hands? Would you release it? Would you let it go? Would it not be a thing that's disconnecting you? And with open hands, surrendered, receiving, would you take hold of Christ who took hold of you? Would you receive what he has to offer? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, what we're asking for, Father, is that you would work in us, that you would remind us that we would be filled to overflowing as we remember your faithfulness and your goodness that go before us, that have come behind us, that you've got more to give, would we be reminded that where we are isn't the full story? Would we be reminded that in the midst of fear and change and transition, in the midst of uh, unmet expectations, depression, anxiety, opinions, Father, would we scrape all that to the side so we can stand face to face with you? And as we remember your goodness, would you draw us closer? And would you draw closer to us? Would we rest in the goodness of God? Amen.